Josh, y'all did an outstanding job. Thank you so much. Thank you. And Tommy Jean, you said they volunteered to do that. Okay, but after you ask them, they volunteer. But thank you guys. Thank you guys. Yeah. <laughs> thank you all so much for doing that. Look, this morning, again, we don't have the overhead, so I hope you brought your Bible. Uh, we want to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. You remember we read this passage of Scripture uh, last week. And we're going to be looking for a number of weeks. Now, uh, the next two Sundays, we'll, we'll look at the Christmas story, okay? But in weeks after that, I want to complete um, these messages because, as I told you last Sunday, it had never dawned on me uh, about the gifts that God has given us according to the Word of God. And I'm going to point out at least uh, six uh, of these gifts that God has given. We mentioned these last Sunday. But I just want you to think about how God is always giving to us. And the greatest gift, of course, is his son. And today we're going to hear about the gift of God's grace. So let's pray together and then we'll read the word of God. Father, I thank you again for for allowing us to come into your house, Father. We would confess again our unworthiness to be your children, but we are so grateful for your giving your Son for the Christmas story that reminds us that Jesus, who is your Son, who is God, took upon himself human flesh and dwelt on this earth so that we could see how you really are and how you love each of us so very much. And as we study out of Paul's writings about your grace, about the unmerited love that you give to us, Father, please may it thrill our hearts this day as Christians to be reminded that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Lord, I pray for those that perhaps have heard the gospel many, many times but not yet received Christ as Savior. I pray, Father, in these moments that you would just help them to understand what this grace is all about. It's a free gift. Lord, we cannot merit, we cannot work for salvation, but Lord, thank you that you freely give us your love and your salvation through your Son. So we just pray that your Holy Spirit would take this word and Lord, that it would just fill our hearts with a greater knowledge of how much you love us and what you want that love to do to save us so that we can enter into the kingdom of God and be your children. Father, please help that we'll all be receptive to the word of God this day. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Follow with me if you have your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 10. And folks, I want to tell you, this is just, just a rich section of Scripture. Paul writes, And you he made alive. And please notice that in verse 1 and also in verse 5, he's going to talk about how you and I have been made alive when you were dead. And also in verse 5, he is talking about how the people had been dead. Now, he's speaking about spiritual death. But let me read this verse again with those two verses in mind so that when you get to verse 5, you can hear again what Paul is saying. And you he made alive when you were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, 
following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among these. And please notice how Paul is going to change from speaking to them to including himself. Listen to this, verse 3. Among these we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of body and mind, and so we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, verse 4. And folks, in our worst moment, in our greatest separation from him, God intervened. And that's what the Christmas story is all about. God intervening in history and sending his son to save us from our sin. But God, who is rich in mercy out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And please notice that he's going to use that same expression in verse 8. By grace, you have been saved. Verse 6. And raised us up with him and made us sit with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the coming ages he might show you the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not because of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Folks, last week I gave you a list of some of the gifts that God has given you and me and the world. And let me quickly mention those six things again. And we're going to look at the gift of grace today. But the first and foremost gift is the gift of God's Son. The gift of God's Son. The greatest gift the world has ever received is God's Son, our Savior. Secondly, He gives us the gift of His grace that we're going to talk about. Thirdly, he gives us the gift of eternal life. Jesus said, I give them eternal life. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. The fourth gift is the gift of God's righteousness. And folks, again, I hope that you're saying, what does that mean? Because the Word of God wants us to understand that when we stand before God, He's going to see the blood of Jesus as our, our righteousness, as He has taken away our sin. The fifth gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit. The sixth gift that we'll mention is the gift of spiritual gifts found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 because God gifts His church, His churches, with spiritual gifts so that we can not only minister to one another, but we can minister to the world. So this morning, let me quickly uh, recap what we talked about and the things I hope we established last week. First of all, the greatest giver of gifts is God. And folks, that's just not a statement. Think about it. Even the gift of life itself, the ability to get up this morning, the gift of this day, the gift of being a child of God, God is the greater greatest giver of gifts. And secondly, the greatest gift of all is his son. 2 Corinthians 9.15, and we read this last Sunday at the end of the message. This is out of the Living Bible translation. Thank God for his son, his gift, too wonderful for words. 
We found last week also that God always gives good and perfect gifts. That's James 1.17. His gifts are for our betterment. His gifts are for our fulfillment. His gifts meet our greatest needs. And God is always giving constantly. His gifts keep on coming. Even when we don't see and recognize His gifts, He is sending them every day. And it's not just special days, but every day God is blessing us. And throughout our life and throughout eternity, God will be giving gifts to us. But you and I need to understand as human beings, we can accept God's gifts or we can reject God's gifts. And I pray that if you haven't yet trusted Christ as your Savior and accepted the gift of His Son, that you'll do that during this Christmas season. So let's look at this second gift, the gift of God's grace. And folks, if we were to define the word grace, how would we define it? And I'm going to read to you, this is out of the International Dictionary of the Bible. The word grace means God's unmerited, free, spontaneous love for sinful man revealed and made effective in Jesus Christ. Someone else has used the, word, the letters in grace to, to give this definition, God's riches at Christ's expense. Folks, what a beautiful word grace is. And Paul uses the word grace often in his writings, but he uses it three times in the book of Ephesians. And let me just give you those references, okay? And we've already read the first one, Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. In chapter 3, verse 7, Paul writes, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. And then in Ephesians 4, 7, But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Folks, and it's not only in, in the book of Ephesians, but Paul uses the word grace to describe the gift of Christ. Folks, listen to this verse in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. And I know that you've heard this, especially if we talk about stewardship or about giving. But listen to 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. You and I know from studying the letters of Paul that Paul understood that when Jesus left heaven, he emptied himself and took upon himself the form of a man and became a servant to all mankind. And he humbled himself dying on a cross for you and I. He gave up all the riches it appeared that he had in heaven to come to this earth. Folks, would you and I dare give up all of our possession, all of our riches? But Jesus gave up heaven momentarily to come to this earth and die on the cross for you and I. That is an example of God's grace. And listen to Romans chapter 5, verses 6, 7, and 8. And although the word grace is not used in this passage of Scripture, is not grace described here. Listen to this, Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
While one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man one will dare even to die, but God shows. Some translations use the word commendeth or proves. God proves his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Folks, if God had sent a survey of angels out to the earth to ask people, God's going to send his son to bring you salvation. Will you accept him? God already knew that the people would reject his son because they were already rejecting him. And the Old Testament is a record of how God's people would turn away from and turn against God. But God wanted the world to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he loved them. So he sent his very own son. That is grace, folks. Listen to John 1.14. And it's an amazing thing that the gospel writer John does not give details of the Christmas story. But he goes all the way back before creation and he says, In the beginning was God and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And of course he's talking about Jesus in those verses. But when we get down to verse 14 in John chapter 1, John writes, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That again is the Christmas story. But listen to this next phrase, Full of grace and truth. And you know, I've never related these two things together. That as the gospel writer thought about the life of Jesus and what Jesus' coming meant, Jesus came to reveal, you and I would say he came to reveal truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me or by me. But he also came to reveal grace, God's unmerited love for us. But folks, I hope by now you're asking the question, if you're not a believer, why is this grace so wonderful? Why is unmerited love from God such a wonderful thing? Well, again, grace explains what God has done for all sinners if we accept His grace in our hearts and life. And folks, I want to be very honest with you. I'm not asking anybody to speak out loud, but I really want us to ask ourselves a question. Do you and I truly own up to the fact that we're sinners? Now, I will be honest with you. You know, we can, we can look at other people. We can always find other people and point out other people who seem to be worse sinners than we are. And folks, I know that our culture is becoming more and more judgmental, and I'm a part of that, and I'm guilty of that, and I know that. And so often we see people that have addictions such as to drugs or alcohol or sexual perversion or even murderers and on and on the list that we could, we could go. And we could, we could be, you remember uh, in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus gives the parable of the, of, the, of the sinner and the Pharisee that are in the temple and the Pharisee looks up to God and says, I thank you that I'm not like that person over there who is a great sinner. And that man would not even look to heaven, but he smote his breast saying, God, have mercy on me. And Jesus said, who do you think left the temple justified in the sight of God? Folks, we need to humble ourselves to where we know that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And folks, so often you and I are not in a good walk with the Lord, even as believers, because we have a struggle admitting that we're sinners, that except by the grace of God, we would be lost and condemned. 
Paul writes in Romans 3.23, and I hope you don't get tired of hearing me quote this verse, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. And listen to what Psalms 14, verses 1 through 3 says. I don't want you to think the fact that we're sinners is just the New Testament concept, but it's throughout the Word of God. It's a recognition of who we are and how we fall short of God. The psalmist in Psalm 14 says, The fool says in his heart there's no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There's none that does good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any that act wisely, that seek after God. They have all gone astray. They are all alike corrupt. There's none that does good, no, not one. And this is quoted again in Psalms 53. And folks, listen to what Isaiah says in Isaiah 64, verse 6. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we do all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And I want to stop right there for just a second. You know, as a, as a preacher, I can't help but wonder, do people think I'm trying to condemn others or condemn you? And I promise you I am not. Number one, I'm trying to tell you what the Word of God says. But folks, the more I see myself as a sinner, the more I see the grace of God performing a miracle in my heart and my life and in your heart and your life when we're born into the kingdom of God. We do not deserve to be loved by a loving and holy God, but we are. Can you say amen? Because I think that's something we need to tell God. And, and folks, listen, it's, it's a struggle for us living in today's world. You know, nobody ever does anything wrong. Our culture is so filled with, I'm not going to own up to what I have done. And, and so often, even as, as people dealing with our relationship with God, we say, well, you know, it really hadn't been that bad Well, folks, it's not about how bad you have been, but it is how much God loves you. And you and I need to understand that if we've only committed one sin, that separates us from God. But, folks, here's the beauty of the grace of God. Regardless of how few or how many sins we have committed, it is God's unmerited love with which He gives to us to save us to cause us to be in His kingdom. We need to look very closely at what Paul is saying in these first three verses in Ephesians chapter chapter 2. In verses 1 through 3, Paul talks about what our sins do against us. The terrible spiritual condition of each of us before we trust Christ as Savior. And listen to what he says in verse 1. A person without Christ before receiving Christ, is spiritually dead. Now, that's what he says. Listen to this. And you he made alive when you were dead. How did we die? We died because of our trespasses and sins. And folks, you see, what this means is that, number one, we possess no spiritual life. In John 10.10, Jesus said, I came to give life and give it abundantly. Before we trust Christ as Savior, we push Jesus aside. So that spiritual life that He wants to give to us, that abundant life that He wants us to enjoy, cannot be ours. 
And we can do nothing of ourselves to please God or bring ourselves into right relationship with God. You know, sometimes we struggle with that, don't we? Well, if I do so many good works, that's going to cancel out all the bad things that I've done, and maybe God will accept me. And maybe I can work my way into heaven. And folks, we cannot. And that's why there's such a struggle in our world to accept John 14:6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. That's where the cross joins us to the Heavenly Father, although we separated ourselves from Him by our sin. And there's something else about being spiritually dead. The inner man of the unsaved person cannot and does not understand or appreciate spiritual things. Our spiritual facilities are not functioning. And folks, let's be honest, and I'm not trying to defend or protect preachers here, but for a person who's not a Christian, it's not very enjoyable to go to church, is it? Now let's just be honest. Yeah. What's the use? You know, we could have spent this hour doing something else. We didn't have to listen to an old bald-headed man standing before us telling us how bad we were. And that's not my point here. But folks, until we realize that we are spiritually dead and we are lost, we cannot see the need of a Savior who wants to pour His grace out upon us. And Paul says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is what? Death. And folks, it's not just physical death, but it is spiritual death. And again, what caused you and I to die spiritually? Again, in verse 1, Paul says, you were dead through the trespasses and sins. In Isaiah 59, 2, Isaiah says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and God, and your sins have hid his face from you so that he does not hear. Now think for just a moment. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. God created Adam and Eve, and God created them for fellowship with Him. God wanted them to know His love and to know His presence and experience Him. But what happened when they sinned? They separated themselves from God. And folks, the Bible is very descriptive that they ran and hid when they heard God approaching in the garden. And folks, they knew they had sinned. You see, you don't need a preacher to tell you that you've sinned. All of us know that we have sinned. And folks, the point is, is when we are lost in our sins, we're not simply spiritually sick. We are spiritually dead. And this is what Paul is saying. A dead person cannot communicate. A dead person cannot fellowship. A dead person cannot speak. And in essence, what Paul is trying to say, when we're dead spiritually, we cannot relate to God. And that's, I think, one of the major issues in our world today and why people are turning away from God. They don't sense Him because they have sinned and they've run and hid and separated themselves. And Warren Wiersbe describes this, our world, in this way. Our world is one vast graveyard. And folks, is that not true? People that are spiritually dead. What causes spiritual death? Well, Paul tells about it in verses 2 and 3. Man's disobedience to the will of God. Again, we are created for fellowship with and walking with God. Listen to what it says in Genesis 2.17, after God created Adam and Eve and placed them in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you shall eat of it, you shall die. 
In Genesis 3, verse 4, when the serpent or Satan comes to tempt Eve, he said, you will not die. Satan told Eve, you can disobey God and nothing's going to happen. Matter of fact, if you disobey God, you'll become eventually like God. Let me tell you, when Jesus said that Satan was a liar in John 8, 44, he was telling the truth, wasn't he? Satan lies and tries to counterfeit everything that God does. So when Satan told Eve, you will not die, he not only lied, and Eve and Adam disobeyed God, that's when physical and spiritual death entered our world. And there are three forces that Paul mentions in these two verses that encourage you and I to disobey God. And let me just listen to how Paul lays this out in verse 2, following the course of this world. You know, when I think about these verses, I think about Jesus talking to those disciples and saying, you know, follow me, follow me. All of us are following someone or some ideal, and here Paul is saying that when we're spiritually dead, we're following the course of the world. Our world is putting peer pressure on us to conform to its standards. In Romans 12, 2, Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. In John 8:23, Jesus said, "You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world." And he's speaking to the Pharisees and Sadducees who are rejecting him. Our savior was not of this world. He came to this world, but he was not of this world. And when you and I are called to follow him, we are called to separate ourselves from this world not from the people in the world, but from following the pressure that the world puts upon us to conform to the image of the world. And listen to what Jesus said in his prayer in John 17, 14. And he's speaking of his disciples, of those that will follow. I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. When you and I trusted Christ as Savior, we're still living on this planet, but our citizenship is in heaven. So we are not to be conformed by this world, but to be transformed by the Spirit of God and not follow the world, but follow Jesus Christ. A second reason that people are spiritually dead is because uh, Paul says in verse 2, following the prince of the power of the air, following Satan. And again, we've got a world that doesn't believe there's a personal devil. Folks, I believe in it because he's after me all the time. Do you, do you not understand that there's a source of temptation that is constantly pounding us and bombarding us? Satan seeks to influence the lives of all unbelievers and even Christians. Satan disobeyed God, and he wants all humanity also to disobey God. And not only does he want to do that, but Satan's got demonic associates. And again, y'all, I'm I'm going to tell you what's in the Word of God, okay? This is out of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. Paul says, and you'll remember these verses well, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we're not contending against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Folks, you and I as Christians, and even before you trust Christ, 
Listen, we're in a world that there are so many demonic forces that are trying to keep us away from God. And at this present time, and Jesus said this in John twelve thirty one. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the ruler of this world be cast out. Momentarily, Satan is ruling this world in many ways and in many places. But folks, Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So Paul is saying spiritual death comes from following the world, from following the prince of the power of the air. And then in verse 3 he says, We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, following the desires. Following the desires, and I'll get to the next page, the body and mind. This refers to the sinful nature that you and I are constantly battling with. Our sinful nature wants to control the body and mind and make us disobey God. And folks, when we are lost sinners, we live to please ourselves. And it's not easy to say no to our desires, is it? Especially before we trust Christ as Savior. And folks, our actions before Christ are sinful because our appetites are sinful. And Paul is is laying all this out to say that the lost are not capable of saving themselves and meriting salvation. The lost are not capable of meeting God's standards of holiness the lost person is not uh, able to, to do away with the judgment of sin. Because you see, in the latter part of verse 3, Paul says that we are by nature children of wrath. And again, remember Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is, is death. The result, the consequences, the just desert of our sin is spiritual death. And you remember last week as we read out of John chapter 3, John says, he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So folks, look at this picture that Paul paints in these first three verses. Man cannot save himself. And the sentence has been passed against sin. It leads to death. I'm, going, I'm running out of time, but I just got to quickly tell you this. You know, again, thank God for this world that He created, but we've got to struggle with a lot of things going on. And this concept that if you can fool a judge, you can get away with it. Folks, let me tell you there's one judge that we're ultimately going to face, and that is God, our Creator, and we cannot hide anything from Him. Well, do you feel depressed and down? Have a beating you down? <laughs> Woo! Oh, here's what I wanted to tell you. And here's what it's all led up to. The first two words in verse 4. But God. But God. Praise the Lord. Christmas happens. But God. But God in His grace steps in to make salvation <laughs> possible. What we cannot do for ourselves... God provides. But God in His grace is staying the execution of His sentence on sinful man. Folks, in Second Peter chapter 3, Peter is warning the Christian church 
They're being mocked because they talk about Jesus coming back and and people are saying, oh, it's not going to change. History's going to keep going and it's not going to change. And Peter, inspired by the Spirit, writes these words in 2 Peter 3.9, but he is waiting for the good reason that he is not willing that any should perish and he is giving more time for sinners to repent. Do you and I understand the only thing that's holding back the second coming of Christ is that God's giving more grace and more time for people to repent. And I'm not saying this in a way to coerce you to come to Christ because you come to Christ because you acknowledge that you're a sinner and that Jesus loves you and died for you. But folks, how many opportunities have we blown and squandered to trust Christ because we kept putting Him off and we kept pushing Him away? Well, folks, that's where grace steps in. God's unmerited love And we might even say patience is holding back him from sending judgment on us. And there's one other thing I want to say. But God in his grace sent his son to die for me and for you and to take away our sins. Folks, it is not just religious talk in Matthew 1.21 where the angel tells Joseph that Mary will bear a son And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. Folks, Christmas happens. Even in the darkness of the sin of my life and your life and the sins of this world, God's grace exceeds our guilt, exceeds our sin, and he offers salvation to us. There's an old hymn. Let me just read a couple of stanzas to you. One day. One day when heaven was filled with his praises, one day when sin was as black as could be, Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelt among men, my example is he. Living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away, rising he justified freely forever. One day he's coming. Oh, glorious day. One day they led him up Calvary's mountain. One day they nailed him to die on the tree, suffering and anguish, despised and rejected, bearing our sins. My Redeemer is he. Living he loved me, dying he saved me. Buried he carried my sins far away. Rising he justified freely forever. One day he's coming. O glorious day. Thank God for the gift of His grace. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that You'll take Your Word, that You're inspired Paul to write, and Father, help us to receive it into our hearts and minds. Lord, I would especially pray that if there are those here that have never yet received Your Son as Savior, Lord, it's a hard thing to admit that we're sinners. But Lord, when we admit that we're sinners and believe that your son died on the cross for us, it opens the floodgates of the grace of God to overflow our lives and our hearts and make us a new creation in Christ. Lord, you know the condition of every one of our hearts. You know whether we're saved or lost. We can't hide or fool you. And Father, just pray that if there's a person here today who has not yet received your Son as Savior, that Lord, they would trust Him 
even this day, and they would begin to follow Jesus. And Lord, I pray for us who are Christians. Lord, so often we trust Christ, and through the years we forget, Lord, what it meant that day when we trusted you, that you took our sins away, that you gave us the righteousness of your Son, that you adopted us as your children, that you wrote our names down in the Lamb's book of life, and that you prepared a place for us in heaven. Father, may we as your children be ever grateful for your grace. And as we celebrate the Christmas event again, God, may we be reminded that the Christmas story is a demonstration of your grace, of how much you loved us and how much your Son loves us. And Father, in these moments of invitation, we pray that if anyone here needs to make a public commitment of their life to you, perhaps receiving Christ for the first time, Lord, I pray that they would be led to do that as we stand together and sing. Lord, give yourself the honor and the glory. And thank you again for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.